Okay, so today we'll take a look at chapter 20 of Deuteronomy and uh, it speaks about the battle plan. And it's a short chapter, but we can also see how it applies to our own lives uh, when we face uh, different battles. So we can look at three uh, divisions or three ways in which we can divide the chapter. Uh, in verses one to four, uh, we are reminded <coughs> why Israelites uh, should not be afraid in battles and what is the role of priests uh, during times of war. And in the second section, uh, verses five through 18, uh, we see how the final uh, army is uh, selected or the final team that will go to battle and what are some battle rules. And verse 19 to 20 seems a little bit unrelated. It speaks about uh, how, why the trees should be protected. So we'll start with verses uh, one through four, uh, which looks at why the Israelites uh, should not be afraid uh, when they are faced with battles and what is the role of priests uh, when the Israelites go for battle. Okay, so here the context is the people of Israel, they have crossed the Red Sea and they are ready to uh, enter the promised land. And the battle that they're going to face is they have to drive out the enemies, they have to drive out the nations that are currently occupying the land. And the Bible speaks about seven nations that are currently occupying the land. And here they are again reminded that they need to go to war and they should not be afraid. So those are the seven nations that it specifically addresses. But beyond that, uh, they would also face uh, certain enemies from outside the territory. And we are given plans for both those groups. One is the group that is occupying the promised land and the other groups are, that are simply fighting or provoking war and how they should tackle it. So we know that uh, anytime there is war, uh, it will cause uh, anxiety, it will cause fear. And when we are afraid, uh, it would lead to uh, discouragement, uh, it will lead to paralysis. Uh, we are not able to make uh, decisions. Uh, we are not able to move uh, promptly. It could also lead to hopelessness. Uh, it could lead to questions about whether God really cares that he's sending us to the battlefield. And if all of these uh, are present, uh, the battle would be lost uh, even before we start the war. So fear can be very uh, crippling uh, emotion that can hold us back from going forward. And we are also told here that the enemy is uh, formidable. Uh, they are more in number, they have horses and chariots, and the people of Israel, obviously, they've been walking on foot uh, in the wilderness, and when they go to the land of Canaan, uh, they will not have any horses, they will not have any chariots, they would simply be fighting the war uh, based on the men uh, who would be chosen uh, to fight the war. So all of these are difficult uh, conditions. So that is why this passage uh, begins by reminding the Israelites uh, that they should not be afraid. And they're also given reason why they should not be afraid uh, because uh, God is with them. So they need to have the confidence that God is with them uh, as they begin to take on these cities uh, in the promised land. Uh, it is God who took them uh, out of Egypt. Uh, it is God who helped them uh, to cross the uh, Red Sea it is God who led them through the wilderness. Uh, it is God who led them uh, through the river Jordan. And it is God who was going to help them uh, fight uh, the nations, the seven nations uh, that are occupying the land of Canaan. So they need to have that faith 
that the God who took them out of Egypt uh, is able to take them all the way uh, to the promised land. So that's a lesson that they need to learn and they need to believe. And if they don't believe that God is with them, then obviously they will feel hopeless. They would be afraid. So they are constantly given the exhortation that they should not be afraid because God is with them. And the proof is simply uh, as given here that just like they crossed Egypt through Red Sea, they will be able to do the same. So if we believe uh, in the presence of God, uh, it should take away all fears that we have uh, about the future, about the enemy, about the battle. And as we are reminded in Romans 8.31, uh, if God be for us, uh, who can be against us? So it doesn't really matter who the enemy is. Uh, if God is with us, uh, we don't have to be afraid and we can be confident that he will give us the victory. So we're also exhorted to look at the past. So they were exhorted to look back on what the Lord did uh, in bringing them out of Egypt. And since God did it once, uh, he can do it again. Uh, he is a God who doesn't change. As we read in Malachi 3.6, uh, I am the Lord, uh, I change not. So God is able to repeat uh, the same miracles. Uh, God is able to repeat the same uh, victories uh, in battles. And the same thing is true in our life. When we feel afraid, when we feel anxious, uh, we need to look back at all that the Lord has done, uh, believing that the Lord does not change and he can do it again. So we should not doubt God. We should not doubt his power. Uh, we need to trust in him and we need to trust uh, in his ways. And we also read uh, the role of priests uh, during war. Uh, we generally associate the priests uh, with the worship and related uh, activities. But here we see that the role of priests uh, is to encourage uh, the troops uh, before they go to war. And to encourage them, uh, the priests will remind them uh, of the promises of God, and the priests will assure them uh, of God's uh, presence. So when we are going through uh, tough times, uh, we need people, people who encourage, encourage us. us. We need people who can uh, comfort us. And we know that when Job was going through a tough time, uh, his friends uh, came, they were talking to him, but Job actually calls them uh, miserable uh, comforters. So when we are going through tough times, uh, we need to look for people who can really comfort us. And uh, if we are in that position, uh, we should not be like the friends of Job, but in the, instead we should be true uh, comforters. And uh, since people face battles uh, in this life, uh, we should encourage others uh, to put on the armor of God that we read in Ephesians 6 and fight uh, the enemies uh, that we face, the spiritual enemies, uh, which we talk about as Satan, uh, sin, and the world. So we're not going to face uh, uh, enemies in the battlefield, but all of us will face uh, spiritual enemies. And we need to encourage uh, one another so that we can take courage and we can fight Satan, we can overcome sin, and we can stand against the world. And in the previous uh, chapter, we saw some of the other functions of priests, uh, which we don't have to repeat, but we generally associate the priests with <laughs> carrying the ark or ministering to the Lord uh, to bless his name, uh, to act as an intercessor and to offer sacrifices.
And in chapter 17, we saw they also, priests also take on the role uh, of a judge. And in chapter 33, we see that the priests, they also teach. And in this chapter, we are introduced to one more role of priests that we don't see much uh, in the scriptures, but here we see uh, they're also take on the role of encouraging the troops before they enter the battlefield. And in verses five through 18, uh, we see uh, how the winning team uh, is selected. And we all know that uh, when you're working, uh, it doesn't matter how many people you have, uh, you need to have the right people uh, doing the right work. And when that happens, uh, there is success and there is a victory. In the same way, uh, when the nation of Israel, uh, when they are ready to enter the battlefield, uh, obviously there are many men uh, who could have participated uh, in the war, who could have participated in the battle. But here we see that uh, they are carefully uh, selected and not uh, everyone participates in that role, in that war. So we'll read a few verses as we go along. So the goal is to ultimately screen and select the best team. And the idea is to be successful uh, in the battle. And in order to do that, uh, we should be able to select uh, the best team. And the belief or the assumption is that uh, it is God who's going to fight uh, the battle. And if God is the one who's fighting the battle, the soldiers are uh, simply instruments uh, that are being uh, directed by God or they are vessels uh, in the hands of God. So the actual numbers uh, do not really matter, whether it's an army of one or whether it's an army of thousands. So we know that David was able to take down Goliath. Uh, he was just an army of one, uh, where many others failed. David was successful uh, because uh, God was with him and fighting the battle. And the strategy is simply that God is going to form the winning team. So we'll read uh, verses five through eight, uh, where we are told uh, how four groups of people uh, who are eliminated from the group that will go to fight. Yeah. Okay, so uh, when we use uh, worldly principles, we would think that we need more people uh, to get the work done. Uh, but here we see uh, God's wisdom that uh, he doesn't really worry about the numbers, but he wants to make sure that the right people are entering the field uh, entering the battlefield. So that could be true for ministry. That could be true for any work that we want to do. Uh, we need to depend on God's wisdom to see uh, what we need to select, what tools we need, what people we need to fight the battle. So here we see that four groups of people are uh, eliminated. Uh, the first three groups we can say are uh, people who have some uh, kind of uh, responsibilities or priorities, uh, personal priorities. So the first one we read in verse five, where the home has been constructed, but it has not yet uh, been dedicated. So obviously the person who built that house, uh, they might have put in a lot of energy, they might have put in time, they would have put in resources, but the house has not really been uh, dedicated. So the Lord is saying that those people should be left behind so that they can dedicate the house, uh, they can enjoy the house. Uh, if they are in the battlefield, uh, they might be thinking about the house that they have built. So it could be a distraction. So that could be one way of looking at it. Uh, in the same way, if somebody has planted a vineyard, uh, we can use the same principle. They have put in a lot of effort uh, in planting the vineyard. 
So they should also enjoy the fruit uh, of that vineyard. Or if they're in the battlefield, uh, they might be thinking about what's happening with the vineyard, uh, who's taking care of it. They've already invested so much, but uh, they are far away from the vineyard. And the third one is also practical. Uh, if somebody is engaged, uh, the Lord is saying uh, they should wait uh, to get married. Uh, they should not go to battle where there is a danger that they might get killed and someone else uh, marries the one that they are engaged to. So again, if they are engaged and going to battle, uh, mentally they might be distracted, so they may not be focused on the war. So that could be one way of looking at it. And the last one is a, a coward or someone who's afraid. Uh, so we know that uh, people who are afraid or who do not have the right spirit, uh, they will also make the others uh, the same way. So there's a danger uh, that the negative uh, spirit that they have, uh, the weak uh, spirit that they have, will spread uh, to the rest of the team and it will make the entire team weak. So we often talk about the weakest uh, link uh, in any team. Uh, if there's a weak link, uh, that should be either strengthened or it should be eliminated, uh, otherwise it makes the whole team weak. We see by looking at this that the God is uh, mindful of the personal pleasures uh, or responsibilities that we have. And we also see that God is seeking 100% commitment and he's seeking 100% focus in war. So we should not be, when we are engaged in the battle, uh, we should not be thinking about our house, about our spouse, or about the field, or we should not be afraid. So those people, those kind of people cannot be uh, effective uh, in a war uh, situation. In the same way we talked about someone who's weak, uh, a soldier, weak soldier can weaken the entire army. So unity is important for winning wars, but when you have different people with different visions or different priorities, uh, you cannot, you cannot be united and you will not feel strong because uh, people will start pulling you in different directions. So that is why God is screening out uh, certain people and the people who are left are entirely focused on war. Uh, that is their highest uh, priority and that will be effective. So at the end, the battle belongs to the Lord. The numbers uh, don't really matter. And we know from Gideon's uh, example that his army was reduced uh, from 32,000 to 300. So even though the enemy was big, uh, 135,000 people, uh, Gideon was effective with just uh, 300 people. So it again reminds us that the numbers are not important. Uh, it is critical to select the right people who are chosen by God. So that could uh, apply here. It applies to ministry. It applies to any work uh, that we are trying to do for the Lord. And at the same time, uh, we can also be victorious uh, in the battles that we face in life. Uh, we must uh, believe uh, in the promises of God that we see throughout the scriptures. Uh, in Zechariah 4, 6, we are reminded, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, we are reminded that God's grace uh, is sufficient for us in every situation, in every battle of life. And in 1 Peter 5, 7, we are told to cast uh, all our cares upon him. So we don't have to carry the burden of the battle, 
Uh, we simply have to put it on the Lord and he will take care of it. And we must also believe uh, in the uh, power of God, as we read in 2 Chronicle 32, 8, uh, with him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. So as the Israelites, uh, as they are getting ready to conquer the promised land, the Lord is repeatedly reminding them uh, not to be afraid uh, because he is the one who is going to fight the battles for them. And again, we see in Second uh, Chronicle 32, 7, 8 that we just read, uh, which are, again, a reminder. <clears throat> so the Lord is uh, mighty in battle, and he is able to give us victory. And uh, in verses 9 to 15 that we can read, uh, we talk about, uh, talk, speaks about the strategy of how they should go about uh, in the battlefield. And it speaks about two types of groups. Uh, one, uh, one group of uh, enemies uh, where, who are not the seven nations that are occupying the promised land. And the second group uh, is the group of seven nations that are currently in the promised land. Yeah. Okay, so uh, from the army that was reduced, uh, we see that leaders are appointed. And when they're confronted with uh, any kind of battle or any kind of opposition, uh, we see that the strategy is to first uh, negotiate peace and to offer the arm of peace. And if the enemy is uh, willing for peace, uh, then the city will become tributaries and they will pay taxes and they will be subject to uh, Israel. So negotiating peace uh, does not mean that the enemy will, would be let go or that they would be released. Uh, the peace uh, essentially means that uh, Israelites, uh, they're not going to fight the war, uh, but instead uh, they would, the enemy would become subject to Israel uh, without fighting the war, which means uh, the harmful effects of war are avoided. Uh, there is no death, there is no violence, and there is a peaceful uh, transfer of power, so to speak, and Israel becomes the owner. And we see some examples here, like in 2 Samuel 8.2, uh, we read that Moabites became David's servants and they brought gifts. And the same thing is true for Syrians and Edomites. And in 2 Kings uh, 3.4, we read, uh, Mesha, king of Moab, was a sheep master and rendered unto the king of Israel a hundred thousand lambs and a hundred thousand rams uh, with the wool. Uh, which can be seen as some kind of taxation that is imposed uh, on, this, on those who are subject to Israel. So that is the first uh, option that is given. Uh, when you uh, are in a battle, you negotiate peace first. But if they're not willing to <coughs> uh, agree to peace, uh, they are told to uh, besiege the city, uh, to smite uh, every male. So, so by that, we understand that the male would be uh, People who are older, uh, 20 and above, since children are exempted in verse 14. Uh, it says women, children, and cattle should be spared, uh, but taken. So they all would be subject to Israel, uh, but they would not be killed or smitten. And in verse 14, we are also told they can eat the spoil or they can enjoy uh, what they have re uh, received uh, from the enemies. And this rule applies to cities from afar, so uh, which is different uh, from the nations that are occupying Canaan, 
uh, where the Lord is, where the Lord gave them uh, specific instructions that they should go and uh, eliminate them completely. So that we, and we also see that peace uh, is something that is preferred uh, as an option uh, in the scriptures. And Proverbs 16.32 says, he who is slow to anger uh, is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes on a city. So a comparison is made between someone who's angry and someone who's like a warrior. And the conclusion is that it is better to be at peace uh, than to be angry. And in Proverbs uh, 25, 28, it says, he that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city uh, that is broken down and without war. So when we look at this uh, verse, uh, we know from uh, 10 commandments, uh, Exodus 20, 13, uh, thou shall not kill. And all of these chapters, uh, Moses is expanding on the 10 commandments and putting it in different situations as we have seen uh, in the previous chapters. So this chapter uh, connects to the 10 commandment that thou shalt not kill from Exodus uh, 20, 13. So it seems like a contradiction that God is telling them to go to war and to kill people, whereas uh, he had given them a specific commandment uh, that they should not kill. So we can say that uh, any war uh, that is directed by God uh, is acceptable or it is uh, permissible, uh, but we are not allowed to shed blood uh, as we read in Exodus 20, 13, uh, thou shall not kill. So anything that takes place uh, without God's approval uh, is not uh, acceptable. And when we look at the example of David, uh, we know that David fought many wars. Maybe some wars uh, were not fully approved by God. And we see that because of that, uh, he was not allowed to build the temple. Uh, instead, Solomon built the temple. So we read in 1 Chronicle 28.3, but God said unto me, or David, uh, thou shalt not build a house for my name, because you have been a man of war and hast shed blood. So even though God is uh, telling people to go to war, to conquer the promised land, uh, the war is approved uh, only when God is uh, directing that war. And when we engage in wars or battles, that are not approved by God, then it is not acceptable. And verses 16 to 18 uh, speaks about the uh, cities of Canaan or the six nations that are occupying uh, the promised land where they're given specific instructions on what to do with them. Okay, so here we see that the instructions are a little bit different because uh, these are the nations that are currently uh, occupying the promised land and God is giving them a different uh, set of instructions. And there were seven nations uh, before Israel arrived in Canaan. And against those nations, God is telling them to go to war. And in Deuteronomy 7, chapter verse 1, we saw the listing of these seven nations. Uh, we can read, When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whither thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, uh, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hebites and Jebusites, uh, seven nations uh, greater and mightier than thou. And we saw the same exhortation in verse one of chapter 20, 
that they are going to battle against nations that are greater and mightier than them, and they should not be afraid because God is with them. But when we come to uh, this section, we see that only six are listed and Girgashites uh, is missing. Uh, so one uh, interpretation is uh, that nation left uh, before the Israelites came. So they fled to safety or they left the land and ran. So only six are listed and God is telling them to go and kill them completely or completely destroy them. And so as we read in verse 16, kill anything that breathes. And the reason for that uh, is uh, they are being killed because uh, as a punishment uh, for their wickedness of the past. So these are the nations that have engaged in idolatry and other types of sins uh, that are unacceptable in the eyes of God, which are abomination to the Lord. And God is now using the people of Israel uh, to render justice uh, to these nations. And as we saw earlier in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, God is simply using the nation of Israel to uh, complete the justice. Uh, it doesn't mean that the Israelites are perfect or they are righteous, that they can exercise judgment on a different nation, but it is simply that God is just and he is punishing the Canaanites and he is using the people of Israel to exercise his judgment. And the second reason for complete uh, destruction uh, is that uh, there, should be, there should be no influence uh, of the Canaanites uh, on the people of Israel since they are the chosen generation and they have to live a life that is separate uh, from the neighboring nations and the heathen nations. And that is also the reason why they were told uh, not to uh, intermarry with other uh, nations because they would bring back the idol worship and other things, uh, just like we see uh, in the life of Solomon and many other people. So, so the instruction is to completely wipe out as a, as a judgment on those nations and to make sure that the, there is no influence on the Israelites when they continue in the promised land. And the last two verses are a little bit different. Uh, it speaks about uh, conserving trees. Okay, so here uh, we see, again, some kind of practical advice. So when you're going to war uh, against a nation, the temptation may be to completely wipe out everything, uh, even as we are seeing in the current war uh, between Russia and uh, Ukraine. Uh, oftentimes, it is completely uh, complete uh, destruction that is taking place, and there is no thought about the long-term uh, sustainability uh, of the country that you're demolishing. So even if you take over the country and if you want to continue in that country, uh, you will need uh, certain things. You will need some infrastructure. Uh, you will need some uh, vegetation. So we see that the uh, advice that is given here is uh, very practical, uh, that uh, even though you're going to destroy the enemies, uh, you should preserve the trees because you will need that to sustain life uh, of humans and also animals. And of course, you also need trees uh, to sustain the soil and the overall uh, environment. And we are also told that we are the stewards of God's creation. So anything that God has created, uh, we need to seek uh, God's wisdom uh, in terms of how we are using it. And if you're going to eliminate uh, anything, uh, it should be done based on God's uh, direction. Uh, 
as we read in Genesis uh, 129. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree, uh, in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. So here, when the instruction is given uh, in Deuteronomy, uh, we are told that the trees that yield fruit uh, should be preserved and the trees uh, that are not meant for meat or which do not have any uh, fruit, uh, they can be used uh, to build uh, certain things that would be useful for war. So we see that the wisdom of Bible uh, can be used uh, even in today's uh, society. Uh, when we are going out to war, uh, we should still be thinking uh, long term uh, in terms of how to preserve the cities uh, that we are planning to occupy and how to preserve the environment, which would be for the benefit of everyone.